Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome to Beyond the Racetrack. I am Molly Joe Rosen alongside some amazing friends on the Believe Network, the number one podcast platform for professionals. Talk Derby to Me is more than a slogan on a t-shirt you can buy at the Louisville airport. It's the mindset most owners and trainers have when they realize they have a talented two-year-old in the fall or a perfectly peaking three-year-old in the spring. Obviously, this year is, let's just say, different. Everyone went from pointing their horse to the first Saturday in May and started aiming for the first Saturday in September. We've talked on prior feedback episodes about what type of race the Kentucky Derby is and how astronomical the odds are of making the field. But what about the race itself? How does the field come together? What type of horse wins it? What happens after they win? So let's dive into some of that fun. When someone finds out you work in racing, whether you're a trainer, a jockey, an owner, manage a racing stable, or are just a clocker, the first thing they ask is usually, oh my god, have you been in the derby? I am lucky enough to say I've been to nine of them. I worked for Churchill at my first one back in 2004, worked for a part owner of the scratched morning line favorite for another, and have worked in some media-oriented capacity for all the others. I've never done the walkover, an experience some say is life-changing, but I can say there are few feelings like the quiet just before my old Kentucky home plays or the roar of the crowd when that gate breaks open. And because a bunch of the ones I've been to were on rainy days, the sound of 80 hooves thundering over a muddy track gives me chills just thinking about it even now. Before we get rolling on this show, no matter how you found us, and I am certainly glad you did, thank you in advance for liking and subscribing and commenting and sharing and whatever else it is you can do from whatever podcast platform you found us on. Plus, you can join the conversation and tell us what you want to know and who you want to hear from at beyondtheracetrack.com. Now, let's load into the gate and get to talking ponies. On the Racing's Basics episode we did a few weeks back, we talked about the types of races run here in America, claiming allowance and stakes. To recap, claimers are where you can buy a horse out of the race for a designated price. Allowance races are theoretically tougher competition and where the horse is protected from the claim tag. And stakes races are where you run for bigger purse money and cool trophies, and ultimately these are what affect breeding value. There are four tiers of stakes races, which in ascending order are listed ones, where the purse is under $60,000, then grade threes, then grade twos, then grade ones. One slight difference to what they do overseas, oftentimes you'll see a European race listed as a group event. It's the same thing, group or grade. The idea of graded races is to denote the tougher company, and like most sports, as you progress up the ranks, you'll find fewer opportunities, but more money and prestige. The Kentucky Derby is a grade one for three-year-olds run at a mile and a quarter on the dirt. It is, as the late great John Asher was fond of saying, America's oldest continuously run sporting event. Other races do have longer histories, but paused at points for a variety of reasons. This is also the longest distance these horses have run so far, and for most, it's the furthest they will ever go. 
It is also the first leg of the American Triple Crown. Usually three races run in five weeks, the Derby, then the Mile and 316th Preakness at Pimlico two weeks later, and the Mile and a Half Belmont Stakes in New York three weeks after that. Fun fact, there is a Canadian Triple Crown, the Queen's Plate, Prince of Wales, and the Breeder Stakes. Even more of a fun fact that my friends at Woodbine like to lean on, the Queen's Plate is older than the Kentucky Derby by 15 years and is therefore the longest continuously held sporting event in North America. However, in an interesting bit of totally nerdy trivia, the Queen's Plate is restricted to three-year-olds born in Canada, therefore it cannot be recognized as a graded race. But the Canadian Triple Crown does have one distinction to the American one that I think is super cool. Like ours, the three races are run at three different distances, but theirs is on three different surfaces, synthetic dirt and turf. In a day and age where it's rare for a single horse to try two types of ground, to see most of the same field run on all three is a pretty neat ask. Okay, back to our derby. As I said, it's for colts and fillies who are three years old. Reminder that regardless of what their actual birthday is, we streamline the age thing by calling all horses born in the Northern Hemisphere one year older on January 1st. Some people give a lot of credence to the fact that you have horses born over a six-month stretch, and there can be a huge difference in mental and physical ability in those who've simply been on the planet longer. Which is not to say that horses born in May don't have a shot. They absolutely do. But there is logic to the argument. One question I often hear is, can girl horses run in the Derby? Yes, Colts cannot run in the Oaks, but Phillies can run in the Derby. 40 have tried, six went off as the post-time favorite, three have won. Regret did it in 1915, Genuine Risk in 1980, and Winning Colors in 1988. Another thing we talked about on a prior episode is one of my favorite statistics, the chance of making the Derby starting gate. As the old quote goes, you're only three years old on the first Saturday in May, or this year, first Saturday in September, once in your life. So it's not the best horse who wins, it's the best horse in that moment, in those conditions, in that two minutes. Looking at this year, those 20 horses will be from a crop of the 20,598 foals born in North America, plus whatever number was born overseas, the stats for which aren't as readily available in 2017. So that means less than a literal one-tenth of a percent of a chance four years ago. But hold up, why four years when these are three-year-old horses? Because gestation is 11 months. So think about the odds in this way. Your mare went to one of the thousands of stallions in the world. There were just shy of 1,800 options in the U.S. alone during the 2016 breeding season, so foals of 2017. Then a year later, that foal dropped, nursed, weaned, grew up, and is now healthy and competitive enough to be in the Derby gate. And consider this. You don't have to be a U.S.-bred horse in order to run in the Derby. Many foreigners have entered, but only four have won. Omar Khayyam was British and brought to the U.S. as a yearling and won in 1917. Tommy Lee was British and brought to the U.S. as a weanling and won in 1959. Northern Dancer and Sonny's Halo were Canadian breds who won in 1964 and 1983, respectively. It's also fun to note that Cavalcade, 1934's winner, and Pensive, 1944's winner, are sons of mares who were bred to stallions in England and brought to America while the mares were carrying the future derby winners. They dropped on American soil, therefore they are U.S. bred. 
Other countries with runners have been Ireland, including the much-loved Thundersnow, Japan, France, and even one lone Mexican bred. Interestingly, the last foreign-bred horse to even hit the board was the British-bred Bold Arrangement all the way back in 1986. So we know who the runners are and where they can come from, but how do they get there? No, this is not where I'm going to insert an old-school comedian's I just flew in from Omaha and boy are my arms tired moment. Though Chip Woolley's foot is probably still recovering from the 26-hour drive between El Paso and Louisville he took bringing mine that bird in himself by trailer. Thanks to the indispensable Kentucky Derby media guide that Churchill Downs puts out, I know there have been 1,923 starters to this point. All those horses qualified by running in a series of prep races. Think of it as an NC2A March Madness bracket. There are races on the calendars at major tracks that serve as qualifiers and whittle the possible population down to the 20 quote-unquote best contenders. One major difference between us and March Madness is that winners don't automatically move on to the next big race at that track or anywhere, really. The connections can choose to run wherever they wish. The prep races start in the summer of the two-year-old season, culminating with the Breeders' Cup Juvenile in early November, then pause for about a month before we start seeing races for early three-year-olds. There are a series of preps that act as feeders on each major circuit. Southern California, New York, Florida, two in the Midwest, pretty much fairgrounds in Louisiana and Oaklawn in Hot Springs, Arkansas that sort of then roll jointly into Keeneland and Lexington for last-minute prep points. Each area has three or four races over the course of about five months that determine the best horses on those circuits. Some races obviously have more history than others. While there's only been one Derby winner to come from the Sunland Derby or El Camino Real Derby, respectively, there have been 24 Florida Derby to Kentucky Derby winners, a further 23 who took the Bluegrass, and 18 the Wood Memorial. There are obviously more races beyond seven furlongs that are popular preps, but those are some of the bigger names. For years, the prep system was based on earnings. Horses who accrued the most money in graded stakes led the leaderboard. As racinos and slot money began supplementing, and thus inflating, stakes purses around the country, we needed a way to level the playing field. Starting in 2013, a point system was introduced, the first change to the race's qualification since 1986 when graded stakes earnings became the measuring stick. This current plan codifies what we always called the run for the roses into a true road to the derby. Races early in the season carry 50 points to the winner on down to 5 points for the 4th place finisher. As we get closer to the big race, final preps carry 100 points to the winner down to 10 points to 4th. One of the biggest questions to come out of this new system for trainers and racing managers alike is, how few points do I need in order to make the field? Obviously, horses who win big races have more points and qualify easier, but what about those folks on the bubble or who might be peaking later than their precocious friends? This is where the math gets fun. In 2019, Bodie Express was the last one in with 40 points. Before that, chronologically, it took 29, 30, 32, and 20. The fewest it's taken was 10. Up to 24 horses may enter the Kentucky Derby with 20 qualifying for the starting gate. This means up to four more horses will be listed as also eligibles, and they would draw into the field by ranking if anyone from the main body scratches before Oaks morning. I mentioned Bodie Express, who ran in 2019. He's an interesting example of a maiden, a horse who has never won a race making the Derby field. 
He had run well enough in preps to have enough points, but had never known the sensation of putting his nose down on the wire before anyone else, and it would take until October. Granted, he dropped the rider in the Preakness and was off for five months before Bodie blew the doors off three rivals to win by three lengths. But on the maidens in Derby front, Bodie Express was not alone. There have been 12 maidens to run in the Derby since records on such a thing started getting kept in 1937, with on the mark the best finisher, 8th, in 1950 and national lore, ninth in 1998. Another popular question that comes up a lot from those who like to bet do favorites usually win the Kentucky Derby? Considering that the average is 33% of the time for everyday racing, it's hard to call anything usual in this sport. I can say that there was a run of six straight winning favorites from Orb in 2013 to Justify in 2018 this past decade, but before that was Big Brown in 2008. Heck, before Fusaichi Pegasus in 2000, the post-time favorite hadn't won since Spectacular Bid all the way back in 1979. How big of a margin do horses win the Kentucky Derby by? The Kentucky Derby has been decided by less than one length on 42 occasions. Meanwhile, it's been won by four lengths or more 23 times. Going back to the handy dandy media guide, the largest win margin is eight lengths, which was accomplished by Old Rosebud, Johnstown, Whirl Away, and Assault. More recently, Mind That Bird took it by six and three quarters, Barbaro by six and a half, and Big Brown by four and three quarters. On the flip side, nine horses have won by a nose, the last being Grindstone in 96, seven by a head, including Silver Charm in 97, and nine more by a neck, including the Philly winning colors and the late great Charismatic. So what happens to a horse after they win the Derby? Most winners do not race for the entire three-year-old season, whether due to injury or their stud value simply outweighing the liability of staying in training. It's notable that California Chrome, Animal Kingdom, and Silver Charm not only raced at four years old, but they did so internationally. Fun trivia fact, Charmy was the only horse to win the Derby, the Preakness, and the Dubai World Cup until Chromie came along. Four Kentucky Derby winners are two-time horses of the year, Whirl Away, Secretariat, Affirmed, and California Chrome. A Kentucky Derby winner has been crowned Horse of the Year after its three-year-old season on nine occasions. Old Rosebud, Exterminator, Whirl Away Swaps, Affirmed, Spectacular Bid, Ferdinand, Ali Sheba, and California Chrome. As we get into the gallop out portion of today's show, much appreciation as always to my tiny production crew and the good folks at the Believe Network for the chance to share this show with y'all. Remember to like and comment and subscribe and share and whatever else you can do from whichever platform you're listening on. If there's something about horse racing you want to know more about, drop us a note at ask at beyondtheracetrack.com or any of our socials, all of which can be found on beyondtheracetrack.com. I am Molly Jo Rosen, and I will see you back here next week as we once again go Beyond the Racetrack. This is going to be a wild ride. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.